Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the summer to expand your horizons. You've had enough staying home. You've had enough confinement. It's time to explore. But before you set foot out the door, set foot in the ultimate travel shoes from Allbirds, like the breathable, silky smooth tree runner, the responsive foam and extra grip of the tree dasher, or the classic low top look of the tree piper. Allbirds has a shoe ready for whatever adventures you have planned. Whether you're traveling to the ends of the earth or settling in for a staycation, you need a shoe that's versatile enough to go with any outfit, durable enough to wear over any terrain, and lightweight enough to make packing a breeze. Being made from insanely comfortable, breezy eucalyptus fiber is a plus, too. When you wear Allbirds tree shoes, you're in vacation mode before you even leave the house. They're the only shoes your suitcase needs. Boarding pass? Check. Passport? Check. The perfect travel shoe? Check. Find your perfect pair of tree dashers, runners, pipers, and more at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the 2017 football season and the passing of Dick McPherson. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Buren. And our guest today is ESPN.com's Andrea Adelson. Andrea, welcome back to the program. Thanks for asking me back. Andrea, we'll get you started on this one. As you wrote about recently, the ACC has added the Big Ten to its target list to add to the SEC. Where do you think the ACC stacks up in this year's college football pecking order? Well, I still think the ACC is a conference that people should be paying attention to. I don't think last season was an aberration, quite honestly. Florida State, I think, is going to be in the mix of the college football playoff spot. Uh, Clemson shouldn't be counted out, and neither should Louisville, quite honestly. I think a lot of people are forgetting that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy last year, <laughs> and in November, Louisville was a dark horse contender to potentially make it into the playoffs. I still think those three teams are the best in the conference, but maybe Miami could make a run. Virginia Tech has its quarterback situation handled. Maybe they can make a run. But this conference is going to continue to get better, and I don't think there's any turning back. So, Andrew, you took a little bit of the wind out of my sail, but I'm still going to ask you anyway. Louisville, plenty of turnover, but they return reigning Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson. Is there any way they can topple Florida State and Clemson the Atlantic? Well, I have plenty more to add on this because I didn't take the wind out of the sail too much. But um, look at last season. Louisville toppled Florida State in a very big way in week three, and they were one play away from beating Clemson. So is it possible? I do think it's possible. The question is whether they can take both 
they had four state a year ago, and then they go real hard in Tallahassee in October. I think they have a better chance of beating Clemson at home than Florida State on the road. If Derwin James is healthy for Florida State, I think that changes the dynamic in that game. He did not play last year against Louisville. Uh, I still pick Florida State as a champion in the uh, Atlantic, uh, but I don't put it outside the realm of possibility for Louisville to be able to beat both teams this season. Andrew, you briefly touched on it earlier. We know plenty about the Atlantic Division powers, but the Coastal Division always seems up for grabs. So who do you see emerging from this competitive pack? I picked Miami this year, and it's the first time in seven years covering the ACC that I picked Miami as the preseason favorite. Now, we've been wrong uh, <laughs> last time that we picked the correct Coastal champion as a being contingent was in 2011, so I wouldn't go... Uh, putting any bets on Miami at this point, uh, but I like what they have coming back on defense. I think they have an elite defense. Their entire starting front seven is back. Young, feisty, aggressive linebackers. I think they can go too deep on the defensive line with the rotation, uh, and I think that unit really has an opportunity to set the tone for Miami as they try to figure out who the quarterback is going to be. Still no answer there yet, and nobody's really impressed Coach Mark Rick throughout the preseason just yet. There are some skill players back on offense, though. One thousand yard back is Mark Walton, Amon Richards is a freshman, All-American, and receiver. The offensive line, I think, will be better. But to me, the key for Miami is the defense really setting the tone. I think they should be a top-ten group this year, and if they can win with defense, then I think they're going to give themselves a chance in the Coastal. You look at the schedule, they got Florida State in week three on the road, but otherwise I think this is the most manageable schedule that Miami's had in ACC play in quite some time. So for that reason, I gave Miami the nod ahead of Virginia Tech. Andrew, you've been covering the ACC for seven years now, and it seems like every season there's always a breakout player that we're not talking about now, but come January we're definitely talking about. So who in the ACC is it going to be this year? Can we go back to last year and see if I said Lamar Jackson? <laughs> which would be in line with all of our usual uh, predictions. But yeah, there's one player that I'm looking at at Florida State. It's their running back, Cam Akers. It's the guy that people have been talking about. But with Dalvin Cook leaving, that's big shoes to fill right there. And Florida State signed this uh, five-star recruit, one of the best players in the country in high school, to come in. And everybody basically thinks he's sort of like a carbon copy. They uh, have the same height and the same weight right now. Uh, and he's done really well in preseason. He was an early and little lead. And the ACC does not bring very many 1,000-yard uh, backs, uh, back, so to speak. Mark Walton basically the only one. I think Cam Akers has a potential to do that. I don't think Florida State can make it to a playoff on DeAndre Francois alone. They're going to need somebody to carry the load and running back, and Cam Akers would be one of the guys that I'm looking at uh, as being a breakout star in the ACC this year. You know, Andrea, in that same vein, there's always a breakout ACC team every year, so what do you see for that? Well, a lot of people are talking about NC State. Uh, when you look at the players that they have coming back, they have the most experienced team returning in the ACC. Um, future first-round pick Bradley Chubb, the potential to have 8-10 to 10 players drafted. Uh, but this is a team that still hasn't quite figured out how to take down the Giants. And again, you look at their schedule, and they've got to play Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, um, and it's just not an easy road for them. I'm looking at the Coastal Division. I really like Georgia Tech. Yeah, they're not really settled on who their quarterback is going to be just yet. 
I think they have the potential to have their best offensive line. Since the last time they won the Coastal Division, they've got a, a terrific back in Edric Mills, who I think is going to be a 1,000-yard back. Uh, and again, when you look at the way their schedule plays out, they get Clemson early, but for the most part, I think this is a favorable schedule for Georgia Tech. So uh, this would be a team that wouldn't shock me uh, if they won 10 games. And by the way, they open against Tennessee, and that's a game a lot of people aren't really talking about. People are focusing more on Florida State, Alabama, which they should, even NC State, South Carolina. But I think Georgia Tech got a terrific opportunity uh, to set the tone right out of the game and win that game against Tennessee in week one. Andrea, we are a Syracuse blog, so let's move on to Syracuse. We are now in year two of the Dino Bapers era. Did you like year one, and do you like the direction Syracuse is heading in? Yeah, I mean, I know that it wasn't a bowl season, but when you looked at the themes that were planted in year one, I think everybody has to feel encouraged. Of course, you got the big win against Virginia Tech, and that locker room theme is still playing. I think it's playing <laughs> on ESPN commercials right now. Um, how can you not get goosebumps every time you see that, whether you're a Syracuse fan or not? One of the best moments of college football season, I think, last year. Uh, and so I was very encouraged by what Dino uh, Babers was able to do right out of the gate. Uh, and so I, I'm not surprised that there's this growing excitement, anticipation, and optimism with where he's trying to lead the program. And Andrea, we'll get you out of here on this one. What do you see in year two for Syracuse? Well, I think Syracuse is going to be a better team, but I don't know if that means they're going to be a bowl team because that schedule is extremely difficult. I mean, that would be a difficult schedule for Florida State or Clemson, one of the elite teams in the ACC. Now you're talking about uh, a team that's still in rebuilding mode, that still has questions on defense, that's still trying to figure out how fast they're going to be and how good they're going to be on offense. You look at that schedule and you think, gosh, how are they going to get more than five wins? And so for that reason, I don't think that Syracuse is going to get back to a bowl game this year, but I do think they're going to be a better team. Talking to Eric Dungey at uh, kickoff, ACC kickoff in Charlotte, he was talking about how everything is now second nature in terms of knowing the offense, picking up, knowing what to do when he's under center. Of course, he's got to stay healthy. That's the number one key, first and foremost, for Syracuse. If he can, I think Syracuse has the potential to pull off an upset or two, but I'm still not sure that's going to be enough to make it to a bowl game this year. Andrea, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, ESPN ACC blogger Andrea Adelson. Great job today, as always. Enjoy the 2017 season. We'll talk to you soon. That'd be great. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure to talk to our great friend Andrea Adelson. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing great, Wes. Thank you. Enjoying the rest of the summer and certainly looking forward to college football. Brad, certainly looking forward to the college football season, but let's start on a sad note. Dick McPherson passing away last week at 86, one of the best football coaches in Syracuse history. You covered him during his heyday in Syracuse, so tell me what your favorite memory was of him. I certainly have many, many memories of Coach Mac West. He was a part of my professional life for almost 10 years, working at WSYR Radio in the 1980s and 
hosting the coaches show, the call-in show with him each week. Just so many great memories of so many fantastic games. But I'll certainly uh, focus in on a couple from the 1987 season. The famous Penn State game that year, Syracuse hadn't beat the Nittany Lions for 16 long years. And the very first play of the game, of course, the freeze option play from Donnie McPherson to freshman receiver Rob Moore. And I think I've mentioned this to you several times in the past, Wes. It's the loudest I've ever heard the Carrier Dome, that first play against Penn State, 7 nothing Syracuse on that pass play for a touchdown with just 10 seconds into the game. And, of course, Syracuse went on to beat Penn State. And never forget, the week of that game, Coach Mack shared the very first play that Syracuse would call an offense if they won the kickoff with my broadcast partners, Doug Logan and Jim Ridlon, and uh, swore them to secrecy for the uh, 48 hours until kickoff that Saturday afternoon. And I always remember just the fact that he would tell that play, share that secret uh, with the broadcast crew, uh, the, the loyal crew, and it always stood out with me. And then uh, the afternoon of the game, maybe about 30, 45 minutes before kickoff, uh, all the excitement as the crowd was building in the building. And as I looked over at Doug and Jim before the game and talked about, you know, we're going to beat Penn State today, right, for Syracuse, and they kind of looked over and winked and kind of mentioned uh, for a surprise or be on the lookout for that very first play. So that memory of Coach Mack sharing that always stood out. And then later that season in the Sugar Bowl, the 16-16 tie, when Pat Dye elected to kick the tying field goal in the last, uh, actually the second to last play and from scrimmage and from the 13-yard line. And Coach Mack, after that ball game, of course, stunned that the opposing coach would not go for the victory and instead would go for a tie back in that era when there were still ties. And We'll always remember about three hours after the game, we were back at the team hotel having the post-game show being broadcast off the lobby, and Coach Mack came in, and he was still several hours after the game in the same shell-shocked manner uh, as he was on the field when the tying field goal went in. Just the emotion and how he was still talking about that, and we'll always remember that memory of, you know, here he was at the pinnacle of his career trying to go for an undefeated season, and another coach kicked that tying field goal. Those memories really stand out for me, Wes, from that great 1987 season. Brad, you wrote about McPherson in your recent Orange Watch talking about his funeral service. You were up in Syracuse for that, so tell me what that was like. The service at Hendricks Chapel was just incredible with the mix of the emotion, both, of course, sad and and happy and honoring the great life of Coach Mack. And as I was up in the balcony watching as people uh, came into the building for about you know the first 20 or 30 minutes before everything began, it was just amazing to see that the shared Syracuse connection of people like an NFL head coach in Doug Marone, a FBS head coach in Connecticut's Randy Etzel, Hall of Famers like the great Floyd Little, uh, football players uh, from all the decades, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, broadcasters and ex-football players like Daryl Johnston, and then the current regime, all the athletic department personnel, uh, current head coach Dino Babers, athletic director John Wildack, Jim Beheim, to see all that 
the shared Syracuse connection of all the people that were coming back to Syracuse, many from out of town, to pay their respects to Coach Mack, then mingled in with the current uh, employees of the athletic department, current other uh, Syracuse University professors and employees and people from the community. The entire scene as it unfolded was just incredible to witness. And beside the, uh, the, the shared stories from the family, hearing from great broadcaster Sean McDonough, who was like a, a son, really, to Coach Mack, the son he never had, and sharing the inside stories of how Coach Mack from behind the scenes really uh, helped Sean stay in school at Syracuse University when he was undergoing financial hardship uh, midway through his, his undergraduate days, and uh, to hear about his career developing because Coach Mack was able to help him quietly and behind the scenes stay at Syracuse and graduate and move into a broadcasting career, and then their shared love of the Boston Red Sox when Sean became the play-by-play voice, uh, TV voice of the Red Sox in his early 20s, and of course, Coach Mack being a Maine and New England native, uh, big Red Sox fan in his entire life. So the great stories that Sean shared uh, in his eulogy was just very touching. And then I guess the other thing that stood out was the inside stories from the family, uh, the side of Coach Mack we never really got to see as he... um, Uh, interacted with his children and grandchildren. All those memories really made for just a a really incredible ceremony and and something that I was just so privileged and honored to to attend and and be around all the great people that had shared that Syracuse connection. Brad, are we ever going to see another Syracuse football coach quite like Dick McPherson? Certainly never going to see another one like Coach Max simply because of the era he grew up in and uh, the old school values he brought to football and his New England humor and uh, his ability to interact with people, both strangers and friends, was just so unique. And I'd like to think that, you know, the present era with Dino Babers and the recruitment of the, the kind of player that fits into the Syracuse family, a player that certainly has the on field talent now to compete in the ACC. Uh, but also can uh, be a, a, an athlete and a student uh, to take the demands that come with Syracuse and academics and uh, the community involvement for football players in the program. And just after a couple recruiting cycles, it's, it's exciting to see what Dino Babers and his staff have done in bringing in that kind of athlete that was really symbolic of Coach Mack turning the program around in the 1980s. But don't forget, it took Coach Mack some time, uh, five years to get to a bowl game, seven years to compete on a national level, eight years to win a bowl game. So as Dino Babers and company look to get to a minimum six wins here in the upcoming 2017 season, you'd like to see some of the parallels coming through, and certainly, it certainly appears that way early on in the uh, Dino Babers era with the recruiting and the kind of athlete he's bringing in. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. My closing thoughts, Wes, will stay with football, and I have it pretty much figured out. Here's what it's going to take to get to six victories for Syracuse and get to a bowl game in 2017. Now, we know all about the big names at quarterback, the skill position players on offense, and we know about the names at linebacker and the talent infusion back in the secondary cornerbacks and uh, defensive backs for the upcoming season. But really, where the key to this season is going to be is going to be in the trenches. The young 
young offensive line, can it do its job? Can it protect Eric Dungy? Can it have enough time for the running game and the passing game to develop? And can it keep the great defensive lines of Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville at burst, at, at, at away from the Syracuse offense? That's certainly going to be the key uh, from an offensive standpoint. And then defensively on that defensive line, will the DL be able to put pressure on the opposing quarterback and be able to put uh, pressure on opposing running games. This is going to be the key for the upcoming season. We know about the skill players. We know about the great players on defense. The six wins or more is going to come down to the play in the trenches for the 2017 Syracuse football team. Brad, I'm going to flip over to Syracuse basketball for my closing thoughts. 2018 point guard Jalen Carey announcing that he will be taking an official visit to Syracuse on September 8th. As it turns out, prize commit Darius Baisley will also be in town that weekend. So obviously, Baisley will be recruiting Carey to join him in that 2018 class. Things are really starting to heat up for college basketball in terms of recruiting. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that when they were naming animals, someone must have gotten lazy. Ant Eater. What's it doing? It's eating ants? Done. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.